Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Uh, today, I am joined by the one and only Lane Austin. Lane is a Salesforce, uh, works at Salesforce and is an MBA recruiter, but she's also a UC Davis MBA student. And so in addition to keeping busy in her day job, she's also doing school on the side. And Lane is someone who I've had the privilege of working with um, over the past couple of years, and I consider her to be a friend of the podcast. So I'm really glad that she's joining me today to talk a little bit about both kind of her experience in business school right now, as well as some of the things she's learned over the years working in recruiting. And I think she just has a really great, unique perspective in terms of not only understanding the ins and outs of the recruiting process, but also now having being on the other side of also being an MBA student. And so having that duality perspective, I think is super, super valuable. So First off, Lane, thank you for being here and thank you for always getting looped in and all the things that I do. I sincerely appreciate it. But for those of you who don't out there listening, who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Al. I'm so excited to be here. I am thrilled to be a friend of the pod. Yes. Um, I think I, that warrants a new title on LinkedIn. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, uh, <laughs> my name's Lane. I am, I've been a, a university recruiter in the Bay Area for six years now. It was one of my first jobs after undergrad and just really fell in love and stuck with it. I was introduced to the world of MBA recruiting at my first post undergrad employer at Genentech. And uh, yeah, I found the space really interesting after shuffling around a little bit um, between Genentech and where I am right now, I fell back into MBA recruiting, which has been great. And yeah, I've been surrounded by MBAs for so long. I was really curious what they were up to this whole time. And so finally decided to get an MBA for myself. So been going part-time, just finished my first quarter. So phew, caught me on a good day. So yeah, that I guess that brings us here today. And I just want to mention that on the call today, I'm actually not going to be representing my employer, but more representing myself here. Yes. And let's dig into that a little bit more. But before we talk more about that, I forgot, I need a warm-up question for you. So my warm-up oh. question for you, and hopefully this is an easy one, oh, but God. what was your first job? Ice cream scoop at Cold Stone Creamery. Yep. Nice. That's awesome. What was your favorite? What's your favorite? What's your favorite flavor? Oh my gosh. I'm a glutton. So it was like everything unbaked, like <laughs> better ice cream with cookie dough inside. Yeah. We got a, a free small scoop for every shift and we would pack as much as we could. Of into course. Small size. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 So I, I did not work at Coldstone, but I worked at a golf course, but okay. similarly, every time we worked, we would always get a, at least a free meal, which we would use very liberally because the people who worked behind the, behind the fryer and like in the kitchen were also like the same age as us. But after chicken fingers and fries every day during a summer, like back when you're a kid, it doesn't matter. So it's fine. But I would not be able to do that now. Just would not be able to work. Good memories of having a job where free food was part of the perks. And 
what I don't, when you're a kid, like what could be better earning a little bit of money and getting some free food, but your life is your life's your life's made. I know. I make this joke a lot, but my first job when I came to San Francisco, I was a yeah. tour guide Nice on segways. Don't be jealous. Oh, wow. And That's awesome. I, oh yeah. I was making $12 an hour, which was an unbelievable amount of yeah. money to me at the time. And I remember like turning 21 and being like, don't worry guys, the next round's on me. Like, still be rich. I couldn't believe my wealth. So yeah, first job, learn a lot. We can definitely jump into it more if you want to. Yeah, no, let's do that. But before we do that, let's go back to, let's go back to you exploring this MBA world after being around MBAs all the time. So Let's talk a little bit more about that, right? As you were saying, it worked in this world of university recruiting, gotten deep into really into a lot with MBAs. What really prompted you to, that, that kind of gave you the light switch to be like, you know what, after working with around these so much and hiring them, I want to go and pursue this for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start with a little bit of like my background and like where I'm coming from my point of view. So my first major in college was theater. If that kind of gives you any, any indication of where I'm coming from, I was attracted to moving to San Francisco because of the art and the culture and music and all that stuff. And so like most recruiters, I fell into it and fell in love because I was like, I'm helping students find their dream jobs. And I love working with people and I don't have a thick enough skin to take being an artist full time. So it was like, it was perfect. But some of the roles I was recruiting for I could not understand why anyone would be interested in it. And that's my own bias. I've learned, but I remember recruiting for our procurement MBA internship. And I was just like, this sounds like the most boring freaking job I could ever imagine. And it was during one of our final round interview days, I was sitting with a few of the candidates during lunch and a little whining and dining as they were getting ready for their next round. And they were telling me about the world of supply chains and procurement and all of these interesting pieces of the puzzle and how procurement works in different countries and like these systems that we live in that is completely unseen to someone like me and it just it my my jaw was on the ground my eyes were wide open I just I couldn't believe that this was the type of stuff that they were learning that I just I had no visibility into in my undergrad. And ever since then, it made me look at job descriptions in a very different way. And then suddenly I was like interested in everything. So that's what got me excited about it. Then fast forward, I was talking to some of my other candidates a a cycle later, and they told me about the Forte program, MBA launch, which I participated in huge. So any, if any of your listeners are, uh, identify as female, I recommend you look into the Forte program because it's definitely what helped me get into my program. That's great. So a couple of things there. So number one, I definitely understand where your perspective is, particularly on something like procurement and supply chain. It's not something that I am particularly interested in. That said, one story about that, which is has become interesting, at least to me, I have a friend, I will not say what firm they worked for, but let's say they worked for a global consulting firm and they were on a case of a of an acquisition and an integration between two leading airlines. And as part of her role, she was on the procurement work stream, but part of her job was to figure out which pen supplier they were going to use moving forward. Okay. All right. So again, 
not like my cup of tea, but when I heard that story, I was like, oh, that's like fascinating. But the other lens I was going to talk this through, and again, I have nothing against procurement. I just wasn't my cup of tea. But what I did find interesting- There's a lot of procurement listeners here. No, we are, but it's okay. But this is okay. But this is where I did find it interesting. So having worked in consulting before I work in product marketing now, one of the things that I would often have to do, and particularly in the proposal process, was that at some point, in order to get the contract signed, you would have to go through the procurement team. And even now too, working in software, procurement officers have very much a role while the CIO might green light and say, yes, we're going to spend this amount of money. They have to abide by the guidelines that set by the procurement team, or in some cases go through a series of steps through them. And so when I was working in the consulting world, I actually did have to work with a number of procurement officers to make sure that whatever we were doing was going to go through and they were all very nice. And most of the time it was, everything was fine, but on the surface, I never would have thought, Oh, procurement is something that I would, was the top of my list of like careers to get into or or wanting to do, but I did find ways to interact with them through various diverse experiences. So. Yes. And actually thinking through the lens of shopping thoughtfully in social justice, procurement folks have so much power in that space to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could go deep. Right. No, yeah. but I, but also that is, I think the value of an education and particularly a business education, because it does expose you to think about things in new ways that maybe previously you wouldn't have thought about either because it wasn't something that you studied. Didn't, I'm assuming it didn't come up in your theater classes in, in college as much. No, not so okay. much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Or because you have classmates who are working in those roles and they come and talk about their experiences and, and what they did. And so I think that is the inherent value of it. So talked about that MBA experience. What's it been like so far? What's surprised you about it or what's been most valuable, particularly as you're working at the same time as going to class? Yeah, totally. First thing, no, no stretch of the imagination. 2020, weird times to start business school, didn't sign up for an online program, got an online program. It is what it is. But what I've definitely found the most valuable, which is something I was expecting. So not a surprise, but it's really been the community. My classmates, shout out (laughs) to uh, the Bay Bay Area cohort, have been awesome. Really wonderful people. We've really gotten each other through a tough time. And we've never met each other. So we really can't wait to meet in person. What have I, what's impacted my work so far? So I've, as a part-time student, I'm taking two classes at a time. So little bites, I've finished econ and statistics. And I think my biggest takeaway is the sort of crappy quasi statistics I've done in the past and how flawed they were. So I'm really excited because the recruiters actually use a lot more data than I think a lot of people know we look at pipeline ratios and decline rates and for university recruiters in particular, a lot of data around the schools that we should be targeting. And I was just looking at averages. And I think it's important to know some more uh, robust frameworks for analyzing data and learning some statistics. So I'm super excited to apply that once this um, recruiting cycle is over. I think that's great. And it's funny, I've taken statistics like three times, I think, and I think the third time I took it in business school, it finally started to stick a little bit better than maybe when I did it in high school and then when I had to do it again in, in, in college. But to your point, particularly for a role like recruiting and for some of the challenges that you're trying to solve for, you absolutely do need data and you absolutely do need to be able to look at a, a couple different slices in, of, of it in order to get the full robust picture. So I think that's a really great way to align what you're doing in the classroom with how you work each and every day. 
I think anyone who has to go through an MBA experience is going to be challenged in the sense of it is, it's a rigorous program, but I always had, I always felt and still feel that the people like me who did it full-time had it easy because you know that your full-time job is just to be in school. Whereas you and your classmates are doing it while working full-time. And I presume at least maybe perhaps even for some of them also juggling a family or a significant other or like other types of things and believe very strongly that I'm sure the community has been an asset, particularly for all of you to have that group of people to navigate through all juggling all these responsibilities at once through a global pandemic. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> global pandemic. Yes. And my classmates who are parents, just shout out to them. Incredible. Yeah. But yeah, it's been really cool because we all come from such diverse backgrounds. Yeah. And we, we have really specific per- points of view. Mine has not come into play yet for them. So get ready for that public speaking class. But it's one of my next classes is marketing. And we yeah. have plenty of marketers in our cohort, super excited to hear from them and, and hear what they have to say. Obviously taking a statistics class with engineers is yeah. awesome. So helpful. For sure. <laughs> for sure. So obviously when I, when I, uh, when I think about what surprised you so far. So I'm sure you didn't expect to, like you said, to be doing it online for the reality is right now it is, but I'm just curious what else surprised you just in terms of what you thought the experience was going to be like based off of like your research or what you thought it was going to be versus what it actually was in reality, at least for three your classes so far. Yeah, that's such a good question. I bet my answer will change once mm-hmm. the world does go sure. back to normal quote unquote. I think what kind of surprised me is how self-directive it is. Mm -hmm. It seems like from the outside, it's one of those programs where you work really hard to get in and then you're like on a track to be successful. And that's definitely not the case. I think I tend to work with the candidates that are really self-motivated. So they're the ones that are like, I'm running this club. I'm doing all these things. And I just assumed that was normal, but you really have to take the bull by the horns and make the program what you want it to be. Sure. And uh, I think that surprised me because again, like I'm working with a a specific type of candidate that's like really, I'm here for the internship, got to get the job. And I don't see like the wide spectrum of how much work it takes to do MBA besides just the, the coursework and the curriculum. But a lot of value comes from the clubs. A lot of value comes from the job hunt. All of that is totally self-motivated. The program will support you, but no one's going to tell you where to apply and how to apply or when to raise your hand for stuff. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I think it's always this balance of knowing that there are resources for you to use and be at your disposal, but also having the agency to, like you said, to take the bull by the horns and to, to raise your hand, to be the to say, Hey, this is what I want to do. Or, Hey, this is where I'm going to go. Nothing is handed to you on a silver platter. It's, it's really yours to take and, and own. Yeah. Okay, great. So you're chugging along in your MBA. It sounds like it's going well. It sounds like you're, uh, man- you're learning to manage both you know, working full-time and doing this part-time. And it sounds like you've got some great classes coming up. I do want to talk a little bit more about what you do every day in terms of being a university recruiter, particularly for MBA students. And part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on is because I remember when I was in business school, one of the things that I did within the first couple of weeks of my MBA experience was I reached out to one of my classmates who was a recruiter, not necessarily an MBA recruiter, but just a recruiter. And I asked her, tell me what your day is. Walk me through your day. Tell me about your challenges. Tell me about how you work with hiring managers and things like that. And that forever changed my thinking on 
the recruiting process, but also just even just how I engage with recruiters and hiring managers and how I communicate with them. And so I would love to maybe get into a little bit more about your experience as a university recruiter and particularly with MBA students. Yeah, I would love maybe just to start by saying, asking, what are the things you wish MBA students knew about the recruiting process? Here is your microphone, like I, literally <laughs> to pontificate, but talk to me a little bit about that. Yes, yes. Oh my, I was thinking about this question all day. <laughs> my, I'm like, don't decline me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I know the game. Okay. So what do I wish MBA students knew about recruiting? Not every company is going to recruit the same way and not every opportunity at a company is going to recruit the same way. And so within the realm of tech, I think it's a common misconception that we all have the same kind of recruiting structure. And so one strategy for one tech company is not going to be the same strategy for a different one. And the nuances can be make or break. Some organizations recruit on a batch kind of situation. Like you apply for marketing and then you're put down a track. Other ones you apply for a very, you apply for content marketing or product marketing or something very specific. And that's going to change your approach. I think it's a matter of knowing yourself and knowing what you really want and knowing what your goals actually are. If your goal is a company and you're not really too concerned about the role in that company, then those batch days are probably going to work great for you. But if you're like, I live or die by product marketing and it has to be that, then you need to sniff out those companies that recruit on a more like role by role and specific basis. So I, when students apply a recruiting strategy that I know is like one of, one of our other uh, opportunities or recruiting options. Yeah. It's, I, I can tell them like, oh, you think that we're doing it this other way. And, and that's just sure. not how it works. Yeah. I, I think that's a great insight. And could you maybe just maybe for those who don't, might not understand myself included, mm-hmm. what might draw like company A from to do going to one of those strategies, right? Like why does it make sense for company A to do a batch strategy versus like company B who might choose like another approach? What is like the thinking behind that? Just so people can better understand like why this is the way it is. Yes, that is a great question. And it's actually like some conversations I'm having right now and like how we approach what we're gonna do for the the spring recruiting season. So it's, it's high volume and it's really competitive. And a lot of companies are going are trying to target the same candidates and batch recruiting process will help operationalize the decision-making process. It helps us move faster. And oftentimes an MBA is a generalist degree and a lot of students are eligible and interested in a wide variety of opportunities. And so instead of making them apply to 20 roles, let's have you apply to one and then we'll figure it out from there. Another piece of the puzzle that makes it complicated is, and when you really think about it, we're recruiting two years in advance. We're recruiting right now. So it's December, 2020. Mm -hmm. Our people that we hire aren't going to start as an intern until the summer of 2021. And then they won't start as a full-time employee until the summer of 2022. And that's a lot of planning And students' interests can change at that time. The needs of the business can change during that time. So there's a lot that can change. So keeping the opportunities a little bit broad can help with that flexibility and make sure that by the time the student's ready to start as a full-time employee, that their skills are assessed 
for a wide range of opportunities as opposed to just one thing. However, we get a higher, and we not just Salesforce, but other places I've worked, we get a higher decline rate when we're going with the broad approach because people are concerned about going into something they don't know, which is fair. And so company, some other companies will go the other way. We'll recruit very specifically because we don't want a high decline rate, but those are probably going to be smaller numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's thank you for breaking that down. And I think that makes a ton of sense. I would love maybe to flip that question then. So pretend you are the student now. Yeah. What might lead you to looking at a role that looks more like a batch like mm-hmm. type role versus something that is perhaps at another company that might be more specific. What's the calculus behind that? Yeah. So advice that I, I give candidates a lot is learn what your levers are, mm-hmm. and yeah. which levers you can pull when you're making a career choice. One lever could be location. Another mm-hmm. lever could be industry. Sometimes the lever is like truly the company. People get like really excited about a particular company. Other ones, it's like the actual job title. So there's a lot of levers you can pull. I think what's important for MBA students to do is understand which levers are like non-negotiable and which ones they can flex on a little bit. And so if the company is pretty non-negotiable or the industry is non-negotiable, but the title is flexible, I would say those batch days are going to be good. If Mm -hmm. it's the opposite, if it's like title is the non-negotiable and the company is flex, I would say try and sniff out the roles where it's obvious it's like a very specific posting that leads to that individual job. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think the, so I'll love your advice. I, the challenge I think I see a lot of, and I've been to this myself before too, is though many people go to business school because they are trying to change careers, new function, new industry, new role. Some people are more certain than others about what it is that they want to do. And, but even with that, people who can be incredibly certain about something are also people who could potentially even be proven otherwise, depending on what the experience ends up. And so I think to me, like where the nuance and the heart challenge comes, I think in sometimes is around how specific do I need to be? Or quite honestly, what if I am wrong? What if, what, or what if this is what I think I want to do, but, but what if it's not right? And so and it's, I don't have an easy answer for that, but that, that's just more of an observation. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and I, but so maybe the lesson there is that just like many things in life, not everything is black and white. It's, mm-hmm. there's always a little bit of gray area. There's always yeah. opportunity in the gray area if you can learn to embrace it. And, but I, to your point, having those levers are, are really good guideposts, I yeah. think to, to help you sort through and, and navigate some of those decisions. Mm-hmm. I think the other yeah. thing which you brought up, which I'm glad you brought up is that tech hiring is not a monolithic thing. It looks different, like to your point, it looks different company to company. And, and what may look and operate one way at one company might be entirely different at a number, no other company for a multitude of different reasons. And you can't apply necessarily or the same things doesn't just doesn't apply across every single company. And so you can't treat it like that. Now, I think sometimes what that means, which I know hurts a little bit, is that you have to do a little bit more homework just in terms of, I know, a little bit more strategic, a little bit more homework in terms of how you approach companies. But that's just, I think it's just part of how this process works and where we are. Uh, Yeah, agreed. And here's another bit of tough love too. If you're not doing your homework on the company, you can bet that there's other people who are. 
Yes, absolutely. They're going to shine because maybe a company like Salesforce is your third choice, fourth choice, fifth choice company, but there's candidates in there who Salesforce is their number one. And so unless, unless you're a really good actor, (laughs) you need to figure out what the the goals really are. And some of y'all are really good actors, but uh, (laughs) yeah, it's a balancing act. And some other advice I, I tend to give MBAs is you're usually choosing between two or three good options. Yes. And the doors don't necessarily close yeah. if you decline one or one or the other. I see actually most of the alumni that I work with came into Salesforce maybe a few years after they finished business school and, and the job. Yep. He's right here. The job that they got right after business school worked for a while, maybe not forever. And yes, I want my candidates to take the, the decision very seriously. It is a very important decision, but it's not the job you're going to have forever. And it's usually, like I said earlier, you're usually picking between a few really good options. So I I encourage my interns or my candidates who get really stressed out about the decision of which intern offer to accept to take a step back, think about how lucky they are. They're in a position where most big companies are vying for their attention. That's wild. That will never freaking happen again. And just enjoy the moment for a little bit and then make a decision seriously, but enjoy the process. That's a great, I I think that's a great approach. I think that's a great approach. The first job out of business school is not going to be the last one. And so yes, do your homework, show up, make sure that you're either acting really well, or that you truly believe the homework that you've done. And I think that's, I think that is the right approach. Okay. Let's okay. So let's hear it. What are some of the big mistakes that mm-hmm. candidates make in yes. the process? I guess I alluded to this a little bit, but yeah. not showing enthusiasm for the opportunity. Like I said, you bet your butt. There's other people who are super enthusiastic about the role. Yeah. And so if we're looking at two candidates that have really similar qualifications mm-hmm. and one is really excited about the opportunity, both the employer and the role, and the other one feels a little bit wishy-washy or they'll They're interviewing for marketing, but they keep talking about product management. And I can't really get a sense of what they're excited for, but you can assume that we'll go with the candidate who's, who, whose goals really align with the opportunity. So the enthusiasm can really help. So yeah, either actually be enthusiastic or uh, take some theater classes because it really is an important piece of the puzzle. Another mistake slash piece of advice that I want to give is work with your recruiter, not against your recruiter. We're looking out for you. And we actually, we really want to fill our roles. We want to check that position off of our list as filled. And so if there's anything we can do, that'll help you make a decision. Or if the path we're setting you down, isn't really what you want to do, but there's a different opportunity at the company that you're excited about, let us know. We don't want to shoehorn you. At least I don't. And I'd rather work with my candidates. I really appreciate it when they're transparent, when they're telling me what is maybe not working for them, or if if they're having hesitations, I'd rather know earlier and I'd rather do what I can to course correct, then get to the offer stage. And they tell me, this isn't really what I was looking for. Then why did you do so well during your interview? Let us know earlier if something doesn't feel right. And we're going to work with you and try to make it work. So I've heard this from other recruiters at other companies too. Please work with us, be transparent. We'll be as transparent as we can. And, and I think it'll make a lot of lives a little easier. 
It's, I think that's all, those are all really great pieces of advice. And if you're listening, make sure you write those down and either do them or not do them depending on the nature of them. So I think that's really great. And it's really interesting. The one that you mentioned, which I agree with just in terms of doing your homework and showing up and making sure that you're showing enthusiasm. So I've heard this a lot and I've witnessed it myself. And for the longest time, it just made no sense to me because these are all really smart people. Like, how could they be missing this? Like it's telling, like, it's like, it's, you may not know about what interview questions they're going to ask, like all the interview questions they're going to ask you, but this is clearly one of them that they're absolutely going to ask you regardless of what interview you're in. And it just, it perplexed me as to why this is. And here's what people told me, what they told me, and this maps back to what we were saying before is that traditionally when you're obviously they tell you to cast a wide net and you always want to be able to apply to a number of different companies to have options. And I think honestly, what it comes down to is that it's not that people don't understand that they need to do this. It's just, they either don't put in the work because they're trying to hedge because they think that one of their top, they hope and think that one of their top choices is going to pan out. Or in some cases they just run out of time because they're too busy preparing for mm-hmm. other like interviews. And, and I get to, as oh, yeah. a former MBA student, like I, I get it, like, and it makes a ton of sense, but I think to the point that you made, and I think this is a good one. If you're going to mail it in unknowingly or knowingly know that someone else who's applying yeah. for the same role is not going to mail it in and just be yeah. okay with it be okay with that. Yeah. Totally. And actually something that has shifted my point of view as an MBA student now versus just being on the other side of the table, my phone screens have been a lot more motivation-based than Mm -hmm. skills-based Yeah, because I now know all of the reflection that has to go into getting your application ready to go and ready to submit. And I know that these candidates have spent sometimes a year reflecting on their own motivation. Mm -hmm. So I know they're ready to go in that regard. Whereas sometimes depending on the recruiting cycle or the timing, you haven't taken the right class yet to really speak to a a particular skill. So at the very least, if you don't have time to study, if you're not an expert on every single product of the the company that you're interviewing for, at least have your motivation story. Yeah. If it's just the industry, make sure you sound very motivated for that industry or for that title. Motivation is something that you probably already have in your back pocket. So lean on that if you don't have time to, to study other things. Yeah. I think that's a great insight. And I'm so glad that you brought that up of, because I did want to ask you about it just in terms <laughs> of your new perspective. Now, having lived a little bit of the life of the MBA student, I'm curious about anything else that has maybe either shifted or opened up a new dimension into how you do your job every day. Now that you have a little bit more perspective, not that you didn't know before, I'm sure you sure. knew, but like now that, now that you have another experience to add to the belt. What's funny is I'm now taking finals and midterms at the same time as my candidates. So all <laughs> of us are like not checking our emails. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that lines up. No, the empathy is definitely a lot more, it feels a lot more real. I think before when students are like, oh yeah, finals, it's tough. I'm like, yeah, but the interviews are 30 minutes. You got this. And now I'm like, no interviews. (laughs) 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 Let them be, except there is one candidate I have in mind. I did make him interview during finals. I'm sorry, but I feel a lot worse about it now than I did before. 
I also really liked, and this is something that I, I don't think I'll ever experience again, but the camaraderie I felt with my candidates this year as sure. a first year specifically. So I think even moving yeah. forward, it's not going to feel the same, but the, in, in my recruiting cycle, there's a few phases. So early in the fall cycle, before our roles are really posted, I do a lot of coffee chats and informationals and things like that. And those were so fun this year. Because all we did was talk about applying and the GMAT and resources. And I, I really, I tried to take some steps and some pauses to think how special that is. Sure. Because yeah, I don't think that I'm going to experience that again. That's great. I'm glad you, I'm glad you did take a, get a chance to also reflect on that and to see how that impacted you. I think particularly in the MBA program with all that you have going on, sometimes you're just going from thing to thing, but I'm glad you had some time to internalize some of that and think about how it's impacted you and appreciate it for what it is, but also think about how it informs how you operate moving forward, which is in my opinion, one of the best parts of the MBA experience is that it does give you those moments to think and then do, and then use what you've done to inform how you do moving forward. That is all how it works together and comes together. So speaking of comes together, and you t started talking about it a little bit, but could you maybe walk through what goes into an internship coming to life or a job posting? I feel like this is like Schoolhouse Rock, one of the, the whole thing of how a bill becomes a law, but like, <laughs> <laughs> how does it- Arts in Congress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like Congress how- Intake meeting. <laughs> Thank you for appreciating that. Uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, I yeah, did. yeah. I but, was uh, in the nineties. No worries. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, we just both dated ourselves there. For anyone who <laughs> wanted know. to know how old we were, but it is what it is. But yeah, no. So talk to me a little bit about what it takes for because yeah. when MBA interns or MBA student sees the posting on the website, but clearly there's yeah. a ton of work that goes in in order to make that happen. And as you pointed out before, when we're hiring or when you're hiring potentially for two years out, not just mm -hmm. like then. So could you maybe just walk through what that looks like just to give perspective yeah. to everyone? Yeah, yeah, great. So the impetus of an intern program really varies. Like what, what sparks the idea can sure. vary. Part of my job is to do a little bit of my own internal business development. So it is meeting with people who could be advocates for the program. I meet with a lot of alumni from business schools and say, hey, you had a great time in business school. Let's do the same for other interns or areas of the business that could be really viable opportunities for MBAs. We'll have conversations. We have this pitch deck and we'll talk about what goes into it. More often though, is the business will come to me and they'll say, hey, I spoke with my friend who has an intern program in their organization and it seems to work really well. Can you tell me more? There's a, a couple of different ways where it can come from. We've even had people speak to great candidates and see the sort of caliber and want to start a program. So it, it all, it comes in a few different ways, but and then logistically and tact tactfully, tactically, thank you, college. We will we'll do an intake meeting. I have a bunch of questions about the goals for the program, what they have in mind for the, the project. And then I also get a little bit real when I'm like, by the way, this per you're not going to see the payoff of this work for another two years, because really the goal is to get full-time employees in the door. And I need you to swallow that pill. I need you to understand that we're going to be asking for headcount a full year prior to when this person's going to start. It's going to be a really tricky conversation with finance. And, and by the way, this is everywhere I've worked. This is not just my current employer. This is a pretty common problem in the university recruiting space is like that early headcount and getting all of that figured out. We'll have that conversation. 
And then if they're ready to buy in, that's great. We will we'll put our heads together for the job description. We'll make sure it's, it's as clear from bias as possible. We'll put together a, an interview process. I try and get them as short and sweet as possible because my newfound empathy, you don't want to drag it on too long. And then, yeah, we'll post it and, and we'll execute is pretty much how it works. Thank you for walking through that. And it's a really good way to outline it for everyone. And a couple things. Number one, I really love how you talked about your internal business development because it is you, I see it because I, I work with Lane, but she really is a champion in terms of trying to op- identify opportunities to bring in MBA candidates for internships. And it, I'd like to think of you as an, a product marketer for yeah. our MBA program in a lot of ways. So <laughs> it, it really is. And in a lot of times it also, I presume, and also is educating really potential hire teams or hiring managers about the potential value that they're going to get mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in return. I am curious from your experience in general at all the companies, like what usually hooks them in? Like you said, like it is something that the payoff is down the road, but knowing that like what usually get, what's the thing that usually gets them to be like, you know what? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Or, oh yeah, I'm excited about that. Even though it is something that is an investment over a longer period of time versus a short-term kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, so no shade to my colleagues who do undergrad recruiting but it solves a lot of the the concerns of undergrad recruiting. So Mm -hmm. the bonuses of an intern program, you have someone who can bring in a fresh perspective. You have someone who can work on a specific project for a set amount of time. You can give someone on your team a mentoring or a management opportunity. There's a lot of benefits, but I think there's concerns often with undergrads where they're going to be too green. There's so much ramp time. There's a lot they have to learn to get up to speed. And MBAs get rid of all of those concerns. <laughs> you get all of the bonuses of having an intern, but they're ready to hit the ground running. They have plenty of work experience already. They marry uh, the quant skills as well as the leadership and executive presence skills. There's just a ton of pros and not a lot of cons. The cons are mostly like logistical planning. And so I, I think that's usually what gets them. Yeah. No, thank you. That's a, that's really great insight. So we're just about to wrap up here, but I wanted to just ask a few quick hitter questions that I know tend to come up uh, and I didn't prep you for these, but okay. I'm sure you can answer them. Number one, do you read cover letters? No. Number two, do you read LinkedIn email messages from prospective candidates? I try. Number three, let's, so this is more of a scenario. You've interviewed, let's say it's like a second round or a final round. Uh, The hiring manager recruiter says, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. But you haven't heard back from them. Yeah. What is like the proper amount of days to wait? Or like, how do you like thread the needle there in terms of wanting to find an answer, but also not wanting to poke and prod and yeah. Yeah. um a week, once a week is probably appropriate unless you have a, con- a conflicting offer deadline, then it's okay to, to hit them with an email every day. Great. These are all things people have asked me in the past week. So <laughs> I wanted to hear it straight from someone who gets these all the yes, time. I'm like fully expecting my inbox to uh, blow up here, but it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. All right. Lane Austin, thank you so much for joining me today for talking about your experience at UC Davis. We're talking about your journey to being a university recruiter and all really demystifying and also articulating the hiring and recruiting process for MBA interns. Thanks for being a friend in the pod and thanks for coming on. 
friend of the pod, Al, you're doing such great work. Thank you so much for being a partner and a friend. And yeah, I'm ready for the second episode. Let's go. Let me know when I can come back. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.